either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Got two big sequels and three kind of smaller movies to talk about this week. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, and we'll start off heading back to the X-Men universe. The latest, maybe the last? We'll see. It's Dark Phoenix. When I lose control, bad things happen. But it feels good. That power destroyed everything it ever came into contact with. Until you. The X-Men fear you. And what they fear, we seek to destroy. She'll kill us all. Well, the first thing about this was, I don't know, I was maybe not paying attention, but when I realized that it had... Jennifer Lawrence and Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy for some that that surprised me for some reason. I thought at least Fassbender and Jennifer Lawrence had were moving on. I'm going to say just contracts are contracts and there wasn't much they could do about it. Um yeah, again, maybe I just wasn't wasn't up on it because I know after Logan, I think um Hugh, Hugh Jackman, Jackman made a big deal about that he's done. Yeah. And of course after Logan it seemed very appropriate yes. that he would be. But but no, we're back. And we are trying to make interesting the least interesting of the uh, (laughs) X-Men and women, Jean Grey. Right, which we've talked about before. And what's interesting in a weird way about this movie is that writer-director Simon Kinberg basically wrote this movie several episodes ago and called it X-Men Last Stand. Because in both cases, it's just the it's the Dark Phoenix trajectory for Jean Grey. And so it's weird that the same guy just kind of dusted off this old screenplay that he already had where she turns dark and kills a bunch of people, and then he just kind of, you know, modernizes it a little bit and and gives it gives it a better cast and then tries again. Yeah, and, as, and we should say, in talking to comic book people, which we are not, we've been told a few times that, uh, that it's, it's all taken from a great, big, and, and from what we hear, very effective storyline in the comics. Yes. So well, that's other, wonderful. One but... of the things, you, you know, that you and I, you in particular, but I mean, I agree with you. What we've always said is that Jean Grey is... Just profoundly dull as mm-hmm. a character, yeah. and and anybody who reads the comic books will say absolutely the opposite. That okay. she is one of the greatest characters. And as we said earlier today, the problem is that when you draw a panel, you can make it look really glorious and interesting, where somebody is doing something with just their minds. That does not translate cinematically. Right on screen, we like to see. Wolverine run at the camera and have claws come out of his hands, right? The the problem, one of the the reasons that I think the X Men has a hard time being as popular of a franchise as the others in the in the Marvel universe is because so many of their characters do things with their minds, which is really (laughs) so you spend the whole time watching people who just have their hands out dramatically or have a finger to their temple, and that's just not fascinating to look at. We've got enough of those people, and because one of the things I always liked. But small things I always liked about the X-Men movies is, you know, just for a minute when they go to the school, if you got a glimpse of what some of the other kids, yeah. they're not real major parts of the movie, but just you get a glimpse of what their mutant power was. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And that's cool. Uh, but yeah, let's not have any more with just holding their hands well, out that's one of the and reasons moving something. I think that, that Evan Peters' character was so welcome. Oh, yeah. Uh, first of all, because he was just so flippant and funny. Uh, the Pink Floyd t-shirt never was a problem for me. I was always happy <laughs> to see that. But because he does things. Like, he moves super fast, and then they have the cool slow-mo so you can see it. But he physically moves, and so many of the X-Men just don't. Well, that, and the one, and who's the guy that can jump from place to place? 
Cody, Nightcrawler. 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 Cody, Cody Smith McPhee. McPhee. I and love Cody Smith McPhee. And that's cool. That's yeah, a cool talent. It is. So, it is very cool. But yeah, it's after a while, it's hard to make it interesting to just hold your... We've already done that with Professor X. He, yeah. He holds the fingers up to his temple, yeah. and we know. We get it. Uh, but that is hard to make to make interesting. Plus, there's there's something about this this movie kind of leans on the fact that they think there's more of an investment in this character than there is. Not only in the audience, but I think with the other characters. Because early on, when Jennifer Lawrence's character, Raven, is talking to her and referred to, oh, your family and all that, it, it doesn't seem as real. She hasn't been with them in this youthful, you know, in the youthful incantation of the characters as long. And it just didn't feel like they're as invested in her character, and we aren't either. So no, to lean on that just seemed a little empty. And then uh, I think it's that that issue is reinforced later in the film when there is a tragedy, and uh, one of the veteran characters finally recognizes what happens, and he's just shaken to the core because, as we've seen in a number of films, there's a real genuine relationship there that's been ended. And that um, had power to it and weight to it that the worry for Jean Grey doesn't have because, aside from, you know, Cyclops, her boyfriend, friend. None of us really have ever seen her have a relationship with anybody. Right. That's one of the things early on in some of the early movies that, that I I thought when there was that, you know, they always played up that triangle, that love triangle yeah. between Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Wolverine. And I remember thinking similarly about the, uh, the Twilight movies because, you know, the Twilight movies, I'd always think you two are pining after this. She's the least interesting character in this entire saga. <laughs> the main character. Right. It was kind of like that. Yeah. Like w- w- what? We haven't been shown anything, at least in the movies. Again, well, we're not talking about the comic no, books now. But the other thing, as you say that, we're not being shown anything. We're being told a great deal oh, in this movie. And that we? is another one of the biggest problems. Just exposition, exposition, exposition. That's right. That's right. We should know? say, as well as we say many times and with many movies, it all starts with the writing. And here we're going to go back to, you mentioned, Simon Kinberg, who wrote, he wrote a few of the earlier installments and the not the, two good the lesser installments. And he not only gets writing credit here, but he's back to direct. Mm-hmm. He's, well, not back to direct. He's directing his first feature mm-hmm. here. And so, yeah, the writing is where it starts, and the writing here is not very good. It's so much inner monologue coming out. Mm-hmm. It's so much exposition. And it's it's clunky. I yeah. mean, there are some really rough lines, even for real talented like actors. Jessica Chastain. Yeah, Jessica Chastain is back. She's the leader of the alien bad people, um, who wants to take this power that um, Dark Phoenix. That's what she's called. She's called Phoenix after Jean Grey. It's it's very similar, as you pointed out when we were watching it, to Captain Marvel because yeah, her and- character it gets um, kind of ingests this power, uh, and instead of using it for good. Well, she's at least tempted to use it for evil because she doesn't know how to control it. And so at its heart, this film tries to be a movie about uh, women just taking control of their own power. But it, it, it stumbles a great deal in doing that. It stumbles a great deal in, in, in making that work. And I also think that it doesn't compare favorably to Captain Marvel, no. which wrestles with the same issue and does it quite well. Well... Yeah, because every message it has, including the the girl power, just gets beaten over your head with mm-hmm. it. I mean, early on, there's a remark by by Raven about, you know, the, the women around here save your butt so often, it ought to be called the ex-women. That's a good line. It is a good I line. I like that mm-hmm. line. But later on, they just really, really compound the message in not a very subtle way. All their messages are not very subtle. No, but here's what I think. 
And just looking around it, I mean, we didn't care for the film. We didn't think it was particularly well written. It was not particularly well directed. And and because the writing is bad, most of the performances aren't particularly good. We didn't hate it. It's hardly the worst movie we've seen. No. And yet, it's got a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Because yeah. as long as there are females in the lead and the main character and the main villain are both females, you're going to have internet trolls who are like, oh my, you know, just yeah. get over yourself. Because it's, yeah. you know... That uh, is too bad. It's Be- not as bad as, as Superman uh, v. Yep. Batman, and those are guys in the lead. Yeah, that's a good point. There, w- I will say, I I thought one sequence had some zip to it. They have a on big a a- alien versus mutant fight on a train, and some of that mm-hmm. is, is is nice mm-hmm. and visually impressive and, and and shot well. But uh, by then, I think it was it was too little, too late. It's just it's just uninteresting and just drones on. And um, like I said earlier today, it kind of reminded me of that line in Mean Girls, you know, like, stop trying to make Jean Grey happen. She's not going to happen. Right. At least with this writer and director. No. And Jean Grey Phoenix is played again by Sophie Turner mm-hmm. from Game of Thrones. And I'll tell you what, we, we didn't watch Game of Thrones, no. you know, sorry. <laughs> but, it's uh, not because we didn't want to. Right, We're but, not sticking up our noses at it. We we just really can't watch TV shows. Yeah, but we she, don't have time. She just, mm, boy, she she just doesn't really come across with any charisma. Now, I'm going to say that the script isn't helping. No, her, it isn't. But uh, she didn't really impress me at all in this. No, and you know what? The other thing that that made me think of. Captain Marvel is that it's also set in the 90s. There was really, that's the thing. Uh, uh, there were too many, too many similarities to Captain Marvel for this movie to really succeed on its own. Plus, we should have known because in the opening sequence, the opening scene, it's when Jean Grey was a little girl in 1975 and she's riding with her parents in a car <laughs> and they turn on the radio and on the radio in 1975 is playing Werewolves of London, which wasn't out in 1975. <laughs> so I'm going to nerd up right there, okay? That's right away I should have said, well, this is going to be bad. <laughs> but you're right. It's not as, as horrible as the trolls are going to make you believe, but it's, it's near the bottom of the X-Men franchise, I think. Let's get animated next. It's continuing the story of Max and his pet friends following their secret lives after their owners leave them for work or school each day. The Secret Life of Pets 2. Do any of you know Captain Snowball? And here we go. It's snow time. Is he okay? Not in any way, no. Part duh for the pets. That's right. Continuing the theme. It's basically the Toy Story theme, really. Instead of the toys. The, it's just the, pets. Yeah, what are they doing pe- when you're not looking? Yeah, mm-hmm. or, or when you are looking and they can talk to each other, but yeah. they can't talk to you. So it's hijinks. It's hijinks. And I think the first most important thing is that um, apparently Hollywood now knows that we're not comfortable having Louis C.K. around our children. <laughs> so that voice has been replaced with Patton Oswalt, who I'm fine having babysit the kids. Was that maybe the shortest meeting, executive meeting in the history of movies? <laughs> hmm, should we have Lu- No. Okay, okay. moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so Patton Oswalt uh, yep. takes over. Mm-hmm. And he plays Neurotic Max. And, of course, in the first movie, the whole point is to help him be a little less precious uh, around this big, sloppy, loving newfie that the owner brought home into the New York City apartment. That seems unlikely. but y- Yeah, and as as a, a, a guy whose best friend growing up had a Newfoundland, these things are huge. If you don't know how big <laughs> these dogs are, they are freaking huge. And a New York City apartment, no, would not be a good fit. But in the sequel, uh, you know, after Max has kind of overcome most of his neuroses, well, now there's a now there's a, a toddler 
And everything that he might have ever been afraid of in the big bad world seems bigger and badder because he's afraid that it's going to hurt this baby, which is sweet. The problem really that I have with the movie is that uh, well, in the first film, the basic premise is we're all too precious. Just get over ourselves. In the second one, I feel like I'm being sledgehammered with that point to the degree that it's actually almost offensive. I mean, really, the point of this movie is if we all just convince the boys to be a little bossier, whether they know what they're doing or not, everything <laughs> is fine, which is literally every problem the world has right now. <laughs> yeah, Harrison Ford comes by as he does. A, he's kind of the voice of that uh, macho, Alpha macho dog. advice. Has he done an animated voice I don't before? believe he has. No, and I, I mean, I, I'm not knocking the casting. He was no, perfect casting right. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Point taken. And I think maybe the, the aim of Brian Lynch, who returns as writer, was empowerment, mm-hmm. you know, confidence. But I think you, you bring a good point up. Because yeah, because they, they, they honestly mock therapy as weakness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Rooster, the first thing he does, he, he tears the cone, of, uh, the cone of shame off of the dog's head. And he, the, <laughs> you, you stop pretending. Yeah, it, it just feels a little tone deaf a little right too now. man up. Yeah, exactly. But, but one of the things that's interesting about this movie is that what it does, it splits up. Uh, the pets, yeah. because Max and his family go on a trip out to the country, which is where they meet Rooster. And meanwhile, Gidget, Jenny Slate, the little Pomeranian, uh, Max has asked her to take care of his his uh, busy bee, the busy bee <laughs> chew toy, and she accidentally loses it in the crazy cat lady's apartment, which is just overrun with hundreds of scary sure, felines. Sure. So she needs Cleo, the cat, which is Lake Bell, which is the bright spot of the whole film, to teach her how to pretend to be a cat so she can she can get into this apartment and steal back busy bee. That's a funny bit. And meanwhile, Snowball, uh, Kevin, Kevin Hart, Hart mm-hmm. as the little bunny. Who believes, thinks he's a superhero. He yeah. does, because his his little girl and he, they watch superhero stuff all the time, and they're always playing video games, and she's got him a costume, so he believes he's a superhero. So when a Shih Tzu, voiced by Tiffany Haddish, says they need to they need to save a baby tiger from an evil Russian circus, <laughs> you're like... All I'm right. sorry, what? Yeah. All right, let's go with it. I mean, it, it, the, the storylines are so... Nutty, especially with the side characters, really yeah. nutty, but they're definitely far more interesting and fun and weird. Especially the cat lady apartment is hilarious. So that when the you know, and then when the three actually come together, and you're spending the whole time going, it's like an episode. It's like three different episodes. No, no, no. They bring them together. Mm-hmm. They really do, mm-hmm. and it does feel sort of fun. And it's yeah. it's illumination. So it's the same people who do all of the, the minions, Despicable Me. So it's got that yeah. fun, very colorful, yeah. vibrant animation feel. I mean, it's a fun forgettable adventure. Yeah, obviously, if you like the first one, it's more the same. You're going to like this one. And uh, for maybe a, you know, a time waster on a Saturday oh, afternoon yeah, or something, the kids, th- there it is. But it's, it's certainly not anything you're going to remember for very long. But for some harmless fun, Secret Life of Pets might do that. Next, the story of a young film student in the early 80s becoming romantically involved with a complicated and untrustworthy man. It's called The Souvenir. So I'm trying to work out where you two tessellate here. How, what, why, when. Can you lend me a couple of quid? Yeah, sure. Not me. Can I borrow some money? Please. More money? Yes. Oh. You're too nice. You need to properly get aggressive. Don't lie, Anthony. If you don't want to know, I do then want don't to know. ask. Stop torturing yourself. I'm not Stop talking. inviting me to torture you. Do you like her? She looks sad. I think she looks determined and very much in love. Boy, here's a movie we just loved. Oh, yeah. Man, I'll tell you what. This this one is not in wide release, but hopefully if it's in your area, you can check it out because it is worth it. It's, it's so... 
it's such a personal, almost like a memoir on screen. Right. It's by writer-director Joanna Hogg, and it is her, basically her story, two pillars of her story, not only personal uh, of her relationship with this man, but also her art and how her views on that art developed as a young film student and how she took the lessons that she learned in life and how she that shaped her as an artist. And it's fascinating on both counts, and the way she films it and the way that she presents it is just mesmerizing. It really is. And one of the things that I, I loved and, and, and respected the most about this movie, I think for a lot of people, when you look back at your youth, especially your big stumbles through your youth, it's hard not to sort of fill that image with self-loathing. And her it's such a forgiving and accepting look at that time period. It is, it is. And it makes the movie much more interesting to watch because of that. You don't feel like the film is condemning this person for their youthful naivety. Right. Yeah, it is very accepting that way and just so brutally honest. And in fact, it's amazing when I read that, well, her... her Basically, her character that's playing, uh, that represents herself, is named Julie mm-hmm. uh, in this. And she's played by Honor Swinton Byrne, which is Tilda Swinton's daughter. Right. In really her first major role. And mm-hmm. she's just incredible. And the filmmaker here, Joanna Hogg and Tilda Swinton, have been friends since they were young. Yeah. Very young. And I guess uh, she didn't really think of the younger Swinton for uh, this role until like late in the process, and then just because she had long since cast Tilda Swinton to yeah. play the mother role. Yeah, yeah. So it came together, and then again, from what I've read, all the other characters in the in the script had written scripted dialogue, but for the main character's dialogue, Julie, she just gave Honor Swinton Byrne her diaries and journals from that page. And the and so, films. Yeah, and, and the, the films, films she made. and said, soak it all in and go improvisationally. Which, wow. Yeah. Not only that is a tall order for any actor, but a young actor, and then to just be so personal with yeah. that. But boy, it works. It, it does. really does. It's really hypnotic. I mean, it's, it well, what it is, is, is really poetic. It is um, very And it's poetic. beautifully filmed. Yeah, and we should also mention the actor that plays her older boyfriend, Tom Burke. He's so good. He is very good as well. He really well. is. Very, very be- impressive. Because it becomes quite a toxic relationship and how he just slowly takes advantage of her youth and inexperience and... The things that he puts her through and that causes her to doubt herself and, and make thing and make choices for herself that now, of course, she looks back on as lessons learned. But as you very rightly um, commented, she she forgives herself for it. And then mm-hmm. you can see that come through. You can see she forgives him as well. Yeah. Which yeah, I think is important, too. They, he's not vilified, regardless of the fact that's that right. he's kind of the villain. <laughs> because the choices that she makes as a viewer, you're frustrated, you're mm-hmm. mad at mm-hmm. her, you want to slap her. But at the same time, right, it's so very accepting of how all life experiences shape us. Mm -hmm. And then in turn, how she took those experiences and put them into her work as a filmmaker. Because what's equally brilliant about this movie is how the the way it presents the the relationship, it's sort of unconventionally, I should say, uh, in terms of cinema. But while it's doing that, her character as a young girl is telling you and as she talks about her views on cinema, why it's being presented right, that way, yeah. which I love. I did too. Yeah, it was really just beautifully composed, incredibly well-crafted, and the performances are lovely. And it's it's a film unlike anything else you're likely to see this year, which yeah. which in itself is reason to see it. Yeah, and just last year we saw Glenn Close's daughter, oh, who yeah. has had She's a lot more in, yeah. experience, be so good in The in, Wife. In she the was wife. So good. And now you've got Tilda Swinton's daughter, who, you know, just by virtue of lineage, you're, you're right. think, all right, she's probably got some <laughs> talent there. 
definitely one to watch as well. And they're already filming uh, the sequel. It's this this story is going to be continued with oh. the souvenir part two. They're filming that right now. Nice. So if this is any indication, uh, put that one on the radar mm-hmm. because this one we both just love the souvenir. The next film is a look at the final days in the life of renowned playwright William Shakespeare. Might have heard of him. It's called <laughs> All is True. He went to London and became this great writer with a wife at home. You were hardly here. To us, you're a guest. Good night, husband. Retirement hasn't exactly brought the peace we might have hoped for. <laughs> you must write again, Will. People need you. My soul was empty. Your soul is not empty, Father. Your soul has the whole world in it. If you're honest with yourself, then whatever you write, all is true. Appropriately enough, the film is directed by Branagh. Kenneth Branagh! Kenneth Branagh! <laughs> I know, we, we make fun of him, but he's actually very effective in this movie. He and is. The written review uh, for MadWolf.com was done by Brandon Thomas, and which you can check out, obviously, on the website. But he enjoyed the movie very much, and it is, it is as, as Brandon pointed out, Branagh has been involved in so many adaptations mm-hmm. of Shakespeare. It's just kind of appropriate that finally he's playing the man himself. Right, exactly, exactly. And he also directs, and, and he's stocked the cast. I mean, uh, Mrs. Shakespeare is played by Judy Dench. Uh, again, I will see everything she is ever in. She's just a glory. Yeah. And and the film uh, takes place uh, part of his life after the globe burns to the ground and he really doesn't have a home base anymore so he goes That was his main home. his main uh, stage. Yeah. And you know and he's he's got daughters, he's got a wife, they've been estranged for many many years and so this just looks at the quieter time of him trying to just adjust mm-hmm. to who he is, to his fame, to what his legacy might be and then also to those that he has ignored his whole life and it's kind of quiet. It's it's really well filmed and the performances are lovely. Yeah, so obviously it's going to have some some relevance for even today's situations for people that are going through that themselves, while at the same time looking back on the life of Shakespeare. And, uh, you know, it turns a little bit sentimental at times, sure. but you've got the performances will always bring it through. And it's a, a little bit light, but uh, definitely worth checking out. All is true. And one more in limited release this week, the story of a man who spends his life prepping for a disaster that may never come, and a woman who spends her life shopping for things she may never use. These two people will try to find love. It's the Tomorrow Man. This is my girlfriend, Ronnie. Dora. Remember how we knew each other. These are interesting times we're living in. All you have to do is learn to connect the dots and get ready. I just want to be ready. You only think about tomorrow, but I'm here. I'm here right now. Change when they walk away. Here's the latest indication of good roles for really veteran actors, mm-hmm. older veteran actors, and the movie just can't really do them justice. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've seen some really atrocious palms yeah. springs to mind. This is not that. This no. is not as bad as all that. It's an independent film, so you, you can expect a little bit less predictability. Uh, it's John Lithgow and Blythe Danner. Right. Always Both. welcome. Oh, exactly. And this is not something like The Leisure Seeker from no. a couple of years ago, where basically just finds its humor in not laughing with old people, but at them as they do. Oh, right. look, this silly old lady is trying to shoot a gun. This has a little more respect, but it just can't nail the nuances of the relationship, no. even as, as talented as these actors and are. And I think partly because both of the characters are so unreasonably eccentric. Uh, and and most times in a film, that works better if it's one character. But if, if the only characters you have to sort of hang your hat on are both 
no one you've ever known or would consider, you know, it's it's hard. And I think that that's really what kind of traps them is that while it's nice to see these two well into their 60s, kind of opposite to track sort of a situation, mm-hmm. it, it, it always feels, it rings so false and silly. Yeah, it's the feature debut for writer-director Noble Jones, and it ends up, uh, the uh, written review for this was done by Rachel Willis, Rachel Willis. at madwolf.com, and she felt that it, it you end up wondering more about really the, the wisdom of letting these two characters live independently <laughs> uh, more than really getting caught up in the sweetness right. of their, their December, December romance. Right, right. You know, so uh, you, you love to see that these these older actors and actresses get these roles. Yeah. You know, you really do, but you'd like to get a little bit more of a of a meteor uh, script in this, although again, it's not making fun of them, so that's a that's a step in the right direction. But <laughs> kind of came up short, and that is the Tomorrow Man. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Three to check out in the lobby this week. New on home video, Gloria Bell. See it. We Watch liked it. it. Julianne Moore. Now that is the American version mm-hmm. of a movie called Gloria, Gloria, which is by Sebastian Lelio. Yes, and, and we uh, love everything he's done. Chilean director. Yeah, Chilean and, and, writer. Uh, and you know, it's funny because I wasn't looking forward to this film because I so adored the original. I mean, I really, really, really loved it. And he makes enough changes to it, uh, Americanizes it, that it makes a little bit uh, a little bit more sense to have actually remade it. And, and uh, you know, Julianne Moore right. is, as she always is, just incandescent. Exactly. And John Turturro gives a good, so good. good support as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely worth checking out on home video. And one that's out this week on DVD, we just talked about the last couple of weeks. J.T. Leroy, a very interesting story. Yeah, it is, because it's a true story of fraud, and it's such a weird story, and it's about a writer who pretended that she was the character she was writing about, J.T. Leroy, that instead of it being fiction, that it was autobiographical, uh, and the writer that she, or the character she was pretending to be was a, a man, first of all, transgender, young man, and, and when the novel or autobiography, became very, very popular. Suddenly, she was really pressed to show up in public, so mm-hmm. she convinced her sister-in-law to pretend to be. <laughs> it's the craziest story, and it's true. Yeah. And in fact, there are two documentaries about it, which are both fascinating and well worth a look. This one, uh, the reason it is as good as it is is because of casting. Laura Dern, Glorious, and Kristen Stewart. She plays, and it's perfect casting, she plays the fictional J.T. Lavoie, mm-hmm. and she's wonderful. And, and it again, it's a very fascinating movie. And the other one out on home video this week, A Medea Family Funeral. What are the odds that Medea hits somebody in the face with her handbag and says, Hush up! <laughs> you hush up! <laughs> Look, now this one's easy. If you like the Medea films, boom, there you go. They're not for me. Tyler Perry and his cast of characters manages a, a, a chuckle here and there, but yeah, it's uh, not really... Is it predictable, George? Yes, it's, <laughs> it's a little predictable, which is predictable in itself. But, uh, you know, he's, he's got an audience for these things, and if, if you're in it, then you will like it. If not, I would steer clear. Next week, kind of a big week next week, we've got uh, Men in Black International. Yeah, let me tell up. you what I, why I tell worry. Me. Yeah. Here's why I worry about next week, because you can usually guess how confident studios are in their blockbuster by how many other movies are willing to come out the same weekend. And three other major releases, national releases, are willing to come out the same weekend as Men in Black International, which makes me think the studios are not that confident. Okay. All right. We'll see how that pans out. One we're really looking forward to, The Dead Don't Die. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies from Jim Jarmusch, a great cast for a zombie movie. Shaft. Three generations of Shaft. You know what? From the trailer, I like the vibe because the uh, original remake of Shaft, when Samuel L. Jackson took over the role, and Christian Bale. I know. Christian Christian Bale Bale was the villain. villain. 
That, oh my God! That did not work. No. But this time, at least from the trailer, it's looking like they're, cheeky. They're, yeah, yeah, they're taking yeah. on the kind of vibe that might and Roundtree might work. And Roundtree, yes. Yeah, so we'll see. Also, Late Night, actually a movie that we've already seen and liked very much and liked it. Funny. That's uh, Mindy Kaling and Emma Thompson uh, skewering the uh, late night it's big t- weekend TV for Emma Thompson. And she's yeah. also in Men in Black. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Also, a documentary Halston about Halston. And American Woman is out as well. Mm-hmm. So I uh, don't know much about that, but we'll find out. So until then, let me know what you thought. Let us know what you thought about any of these. If you want to argue for Jean Grey, love to hear your argument. You can find us always on uh, Twitter. It's easy to keep the conversation going. That's Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Instagram and Facebook, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And you can always find our written reviews and other fun stuff, including our horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. You can find that at madwolf.com. So... Appreciate you listening to The Screening Room. And wherever it is you are listening, if you would just take a second to subscribe, rate, and review us, we would appreciate it. Yes, we would. So keep in touch. Get in touch if you can. And uh, until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is The Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.